tonight. We start a new series. Why crave? Uh, trying to answer this question of why should you be plugged in? Why should you be involved in our college ministry? Um, and so over the next four weeks, I'm going to try and come up with different answers to that and lay out before you why we think you should be involved in our college ministry as we get closer and closer to the start of the new school year. In the last week of August, Paul Schaefer will be in with us talking about how to live missionally on your college campus or at your job or wherever you are. So he'll be talking about living missionally. And then September, first Wednesday in September, as we pray for us, uh, we're going to start a six-week series called Skeptical. And uh, we're nervous about it because we're hoping that we're going to get the opportunity to engage with people and answer um, some common questions to why people are skeptical about following Christ, being a Christ follower. And uh, we've got some cool, neat ideas that we're going to try and do through that. So uh, we're going to be praying for all of those things. Hopefully, I've given you enough time. If not, uh, Matthew 28, if you would stand with us as we pay honor to the reading of God's word, um, commonly referred to as the Great Commission, and uh, just through some different study, different reading, uh, being convicted of just maybe an error on my own part in interpreting this passage. So, uh, talking about discipleship tonight as one of the reasons why you should be plugged into a college ministry. So let's listen to what God's word has to say now as we read this together. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. May God bless uh, the reading of his word. May bind it to our hearts. May we be quick to listen and hear it and obey it. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word and how it convicts us and challenges us and molds us and makes us into your image. Just looking around the room tonight, God, I see a lot of faces that are are part of our core group, who we are, regular attenders. So God, uh, the regular passage, one we're very familiar with, but I pray that that wouldn't give us a reason to check out or to uh, not pay attention tonight, but rather that we would be uh, even quicker than normal to lean into your word and listen to what it has to say for us. Thank you for what you've done in my own heart and life, uh, even this week as I prepared to preach and teach this sermon. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, It's sad to say it out loud. I don't like saying it out loud, um, but another school year is quickly going to be upon us. And uh, for some of you, that means good things. For some of you, it means, oh, man, I'm actually going to have to go and pretend like I like school again. But it also means whenever there's a new school year that there's also a new year of collegiate ministry here in Crave. And what that also means is that this coming Sunday, hopefully only the first, not the um, only, but the first of the influx of new growth will take place, have new freshmen in our areas, in their small groups, and have the opportunity to get them plugged in and involved. So with the start of a new year, it gives us the opportunity to maybe reflect on where we should be and what we should do. Um, I don't necessarily agree with people who would suggest that there's no place to read leadership or business books, because I firmly believe that all truth is God's truth. And so when Simon Sinek says, you need to start with why. That's not something that he's made a lot of money off of, but that's not inherently his. Like, it doesn't belong to him. 
That's a universal truth. God calls us in his Bible to remember, to reflect, and to go back to why we believe and why we are Christ followers first, because we're tempted to be pulled off the path. So in this series, what we're trying to do is say, you as a college student, us as adult leaders, me as the pastor, what do we believe is essential to being a part of our college ministry? Why would we want someone to join our college ministry? I think a lot of times we just assume that people will just join. They're just going to come and be a part. Like, of course, why wouldn't you come and be a part of Crave? Crave is where I come in a small group and we have we, we, uh, midweek gatherings and uh, we, we worship together and we play together and we go on retreats together and we do activities together and we eat together and we fellowship and we hang out and we do all these things together. Why wouldn't you be a part of that? Well, at some point in your life, you probably were wondering, why would I want to be a part of this? Um, it wasn't uncommon. It's still not uncommon. It won't be uncommon for incoming freshmen to say, I don't know that I really want to be a part of this. I really liked being in high school. That was kind of a big deal there. Now I've got to go back into the bottom of the pool again. I've got to clean up. I don't want to do this. It's nervous. It's nerve-wracking. So why would we want people to be a part of our college ministry? Well, first you have to define what we exist for and why we're here. So we're really not original in the college ministry. And by we, I mean me. I'm not very original, not very creative. Um, so our church has a uh, mission and value statement. And the college ministry is really just half of that. So simply put, if you want to know why Crave exists, if you're over like, you know, this Bots guy, he's okay with theology and the Bible, but I don't think he knows what the mission of the college ministry is. I do. I just don't probably do a good enough job articulating it. But the mission of Crave College Ministry is to help college students come to know Christ, grow in their relationship with him, and go live on mission for him. Um, and if you've seen that anywhere else, that would be our church's uh, vision and mission statement. So you're welcome. I just explained to you basically what you read in the bulletin every week. So if we're going to know, grow, and go, if we're going to live a certain way, if we're going to live out the, the value statement or the mission statement of our church, is it actually rooted in Scripture? Is there things that we're trying to pull off that are in Scripture and we believe? Well, yes, we do. And tonight, I thought there's no better way to start than to talk about discipleship. This year, 2019, 2018, 2019 school year, we are focusing radically as a college ministry on getting back to two core principles, discipleship and evangelism. Not that they were ever not present, although they could have been, and not that they ever haven't been a priority, but I think we need to press into those as being our defining markers of who we are. So tonight we're going to talk about discipleship. And what better place to go to the Great Commission? So we're there in Matthew 28. And there's three things that we're going to talk about. Why Crave? We're going to talk about discipleship. Discipleship exists inside of Crave for a reason. Why? Well, it's because this is what Jesus' final commission to his disciples on earth is. The Great Commission, and we spend a lot of time talking about it. But I'm convinced this week, this past couple days specifically, that a lot of times we focus on the wrong parts of it. So with that in mind, three things. Number one. If we're going to take discipleship seriously, if we're going to be a college ministry that's committed to discipling college students, we have to, first of all, trust in Christ's power. 
Verse number 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here is the great thing. We often think of discipleship as the process that begins post-conversion, like you get saved and then you get discipled. But really, discipleship starts at the moment of conversion. The first moment of your discipleship takes place when you put your faith and trust in Christ. You cannot be discipled. You cannot be in the process of growing as a disciple without actually coming to know Christ. And there are a lot of people who think they can. Like, what are you talking about? There are people who genuinely believe themselves to be converted, but are not, have no desire to walk with Christ, have no desire to grow with him, have no desire to have a relationship with him, and yet would claim that they are a disciple of Christ. You cannot claim to know and grow in Christ unless you actually have a relationship with him. It's impossible. You see, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he lived as fully man and fully God. Um, And when he does that, and this is what's crazy about it, when he is living as fully man and fully God, there are certain limitations that he puts on his godness um, as he lives out and follows and lives this perfect and sinless life. Um, If you want to dive deep into this, I can give you hundreds of books and you can feel more confused at the end of it than you do at the beginning of it. How God's godness and God's manness work together and, and how they come together and he lives them out faithfully as fully God and fully man. But now, as Jesus stands giving his great commission to the disciples, he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. He's making an even more direct claim. Leon Morris helpfully writes about this. He says, now Christ has received the fullest possible authority, for it is authority in heaven and on earth. He is making it clear with this statement. He being Jesus, is making it clear, I have all authority on heaven and earth. He's making clear that this statement, that the limitations that applied to him through his earthly ministry no longer apply to him. He has supreme authority throughout the universe. Is Jesus saying, I have the complete and utter power, and now I'm commissioning you with that power. And because he has that authority, Craig Blomberg helpfully writes that Jesus has the right to issue his followers, us, marching orders. Because of his authority, because of his power, he can now tell us what to do. In fact, he's been able to tell us what to do since the beginning of time. Because, see, he is the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But even now in his humanity, he's telling the disciples I've given you the power to see people come to know me and grow and go and live on mission. In fact, he's commissioning them to go and live on mission. Here's the bottom line. I think this is key to what we're trying to do. The only way that discipleship can take place in the context of our college ministry, the only way that discipleship can take place in the context of your and and my life is if we have a genuine worship of who Christ is and the power that he has and the majesty of 
who he is and how great and how holy and how mighty and how wonderful he is. Because you see, Christ most glorious. That's what he said. He said, take care. He's got to reign preeminent. He's got to have that right spot. I've got to worship his power because he is fully God, but he lived fully man. He lived a sinless life. He goes to the cross. He dies. He is buried. He raises again. And he's ruling and reigning with all authority and power given to him by the Father. I think we've lost our awe of Jesus. We've lost our awe of Christ. The gospel becomes something by which we are saved, but we don't dwell on it, meditate on it. We don't think or dwell or meditate on Christ on a daily, regular basis. And here in the one of the, if not the most famous passage in all of Scripture, the Great Commission, we gloss over verse 18 to get to the word go at 19. And we forget we can't do anything apart from Christ's power. We can't. We can't change anybody without Christ's power living in you. You, you can't change anybody without the power of the word changing them. You see this all the time. How many people have you seen get in relationships and a friend comes to them and says, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And that friend's response change them. I can change her. I can fix that. We have no power to fix or change anybody. But we operate like we do. If you just listen to my advice, your life would be better. If you just listen to what I'm telling you you need to do, your life would be better. But it's not grounded in any scripture. It's not grounded in any biblical authority. And it's not Christ honoring, Christ glorifying, or Christ exalting in any way to live. I'm going to get what's mine or get what's deserved to me. We tell people that all the time, even as, even as Christ followers. We must be careful as Christians that when we speak advice, encouragement, it's Christ's encouragement. If we genuinely want to see people change. Now, if we're just, hey, we just want to be the person that everybody talks to then we have probably other issues that need to be addressed. But if we genuinely want to see people change, it's got to start with Christ's power because you and I have no power to change anybody. This is a great hope of Christianity, by the way. We're going to get into that in the skeptical series. One of the main differences between Christianity and other world religions is the fact that in no other world religion are you admitting that you are a bad person, that you are incapable of changing anyone, and that you must be changed by Christ and everyone else, the 7.2 billion other people who live on this planet, their only hope is to be changed by Christ. That's a unique facet of following after Christ. But Christians forget this. And we need to be reminded that the only one who's given us the right to be able to speak into people's lives is the same person that provides the power to do that. So are you actively worshiping Christ? Because here's the bottom line. We can talk about, in the next four weeks, we can talk about discipleship. We can talk about uh, evangelism. We're going to talk about service. We're going to talk about community. But if you don't worship and fall at the feet of Jesus Christ, if you're not enamored with him, in love with him, and see him as most beautiful and most glorious, none of this will matter. 
So tonight, before we go any further, our number one response to people who say, why should we, Why would you ever want to be involved in this college ministry? The, the number one response should be, we're imperfect sinners. We mess up and we make mistakes. But I love being with a group of people who, despite all of the faults that they have, see Christ as most glorious and are striving to live that out and are striving to model that everything pales in comparison when they follow after him. That he is most glorious. That he is should be the defining marker but that's a defining starting point for discipleship see you had to happen one time when you came to know christ when you received christ when you put your trust in christ you saw him as most glorious in that moment rewind in your brain to that moment and you saw him as most glorious but have you strayed have you strayed from that moment return to be discipled in that moment do you recognize the power who has the power to change people? Maybe tonight your biggest need before we go any further is just to admit, God, I don't have the power to change people. You alone do. And it's through Christ that people are changed. And it's through the working of the Godhead that they're changed. And Christ is central to it. So, one, we have to recognize Christ's power. We have to trust in it. But number two, we have to be committed to this task. We have to be committed to making disciples. Here's the bottom line. We want to be a place that's uh, pressing into the discipleship mandate of Scripture. Then we look at verse number 19, and we see, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. In this verse and a half is probably one of the most quoted, preached on, missions-themed verses that you're ever going to hear in your life. The only problem with that is we focus on the wrong word. We have a tendency to focus on the word go. I'm going to do a little English grammar for you. I know some of you are already apprehensive that I'm going to talk about English grammar, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because I love you and I care about you and I want to warm your brain up to the fact that three weeks from now we'll be sitting in somebody's English class. Hopefully. Some of you desperately need it. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And we read this, and if we're not careful, and we don't study our Bibles, we don't know how to dig in deeper, we're tempted to think that because go is the first verb-looking word in this particular sentence, it must be the most important. But when we press in a little bit deeper, we find that go, baptizing, and teaching are three subordinate participles to the main verb. And some of you are eyes already glazing over. Over. Here's the bottom line. The most important verb, the main verb of this particular passage is make disciples. Go, baptizing, and teaching them are participles. They're how we create the world. We get real hung up on, you all need to go. You need to go. Sat in camp. Sat in missions conference. What do we need? We're called to go. Let's go. Because that's where we're going to go. The more important task is not the going. It is the making of disciples. 
Jesus is the only instruction that you and I are to be committed to his cause of making disciples. If we're not careful, we get sidetracked by other things. We get pulled off mission. But our mission, the thing that God has commissioned us to do, the thing that Christ has given us the authority to do, in fact, some have argued that the only thing that Jesus has given us authority to do is to make disciples. And as a college ministry, we want to we wanna bring ourselves back to that say maybe we've creeped off of our mission so we need to be committed to making disciples well how do you make disciples david okay well i'm glad you asked and so is christ because he gives us three participles that help us to understand how we're supposed to make disciples the first is we're to go and i want to be careful here to thread this needle going doesn't mean that you tonight have to surrender to like full-time missions that like come up here and be like, well, we really want to do missions, but God told me to go, and I want to go instead of somewhere in Africa, and uh, I'm just going to be a missionary. Now, some of you may be called in that direction. We've got to discern that. But every person in here has been called to go and make disciples. And it starts where you are. It starts where you live and where you breathe and where you operate. You're to go to those places Grant Osborne says, this call to go is means that business isn't as normal. See, here's the shift. God's people are no longer to stay in Jerusalem and be kind of a show and tell for the other nations, but they are to actively go and take the message to the nations. Now we hear this and we're like, okay, we've got to go to the nations. Well, here's the bottom line. Like you can go to the nations without going to a different nation. We live in such a trans-global world. Let me repeat that. Honestly, where people come from all over the world to go to school. I've never understood that. Why is it that in all of the world they can leave China to come here? I'd rather live in China than here. Not that I don't like Springfield or love you guys, but China and Springfield? I love all Chinese food. I'm out. I'm gone. We'll let you go. We'll transfer you. I'll go. Not a problem. I'm out of here. Think about all the cool places that people come from. Like we meet students all the time. Like some kids from Abu Dhabi. I'm like, why are you here? Why would you ever leave that cool city to come here? But then I'm reminded in that moment that Christ has brought the nations to us. Think about this. Places where you and I could never even go. As missionaries, they're literally flooding into our own country. We have an opportunity on our campuses to reach and engage and to go and tell them the gospel and see them come to know Christ. And their time here spent on campus, disciple them, teach, baptize them, teach them, and send them back to their home country on mission. been given power the question is are you actually going to go going is the first step of discipleship it's 
It proves that Christ has become all things. And here's what happens. We get caught in where we used to be or where we failed. And one of the things that we struggle with is like, well, I had plenty of opportunities to share Christ or make much of Christ last semester. I didn't do it, and now I feel guilty. And how am I going to do it this year? Because I didn't do it last semester. We've got we've to forget and push those things out of our mind and just live boldly now. You can spend the rest of your life bemoaning the opportunities you missed in the past, and then you miss the moments in the present, and then it just adds more moments to go in the past for you to be like, well, I could have shared Christ, but I didn't, and I blew it, and I sucked. I'm the worst. I don't know if you're supposed to say sucked while you preach, but I just did, so I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to. I'm terrible at it. You can't let this blow it out of you. It's not just going. It's baptizing, too. See, here's the great part of the Great Commission. It lays out for us the model of discipleship. You go and you reach people. You see them come to know Christ. And then the next step is they're baptized. The way that the Christ follower seeks to uh, identify or to show his or her transformation is through baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward change. We've become great at like making baptism this really low thing so that no one ever feels weird about it. Like I could say, well, come back next week and I'm dunking people for Jesus. No, you're not at a carnival. You're not going to put people in a dunk tank and then throw softballs at them and dunk them for Jesus. When we baptize people, what we're saying is, I identify and proclaim and name Christ. He owns and is over all of me. And I have a real hard time when we lower the bar for baptism, when my brother's halfway around the world, no. If they baptize me, the clock is put on how much time I have left on this earth. Nobody in the middle of Somalia goes, I'm going to dunk some people for Jesus. Nobody pretty much in a 1040 window would ever dare to say, I'm going to dunk some people for Jesus. Oh, it's just baptism. They know from the time that they step into a pool to the time that the pastor puts them under the water and lifts them back up, as soon as they're up, somebody might as well smack the clock for the countdown to the death. Because to identify with Christ, it is it is death. Oh, the scripture says to be number one in family. So Sunday night, when Tom Maples stands behind our baptismal pool and puts people under the water and brings them back up, he's not washing them, doing some sort of weird bath, or dunking them for Jesus. They're saying, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. They're proclaiming boldly that they follow after Christ. Baptism is a serious thing. So we go and live on mission. We see people baptized, and then Christ 
closes out this teaching time by instructing them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. There is a heavy balance between teaching people and going. And we've got to be careful that we don't ever become lopsided on either one, where we're just like, I'm really passionate about doctrine. I'm really passionate about theology. So we're going to go and talk about books and stuff that I'm reading, and I never share the gospel. Or who cares about doctrine and theology? Let's just go tell people about Jesus. Jesus in the Great Commission balances these things out by saying you are to go and you are to teach. You are to live on mission, but you're also supposed to care about theology. If we genuinely in this group commit tonight to wanting to make disciples, we have to care about continually learning and growing in our walk with God. So I have to ask you, how committed are you to all three parts of the Great Commission? How committed are you to actually going and living that out? Next week, we're going to talk about evangelism. Why be a part of Crave? Because we care about the people of Springfield, and we care about people all over the world. That's why we go to Spain. That's why we go to South Dakota. That's why we go to Mexico. It's because we care about people everywhere. Why do we go to Omaha, Nebraska? Because we care about people. Even people in Nebraska need Jesus. Just committed to that. So you might get to this point and go, okay, David, I get discipleship, but practically what does that mean for us? Okay, well, I told you guys that we'd be unrolling some of the new stuff that we're going to be doing in the college ministry over the next four weeks. We're going to try and share some shifts that we're making. So when we talk about discipleship in the college ministry, here's what we mean. There are uh, four primary ways that we believe that discipleship uh, takes place in our college ministry. All of them are important. I'm just going to go through them, no particular order, because I'm going to explain to you what we're doing. Wednesday nights, we come in here and we have a worship gathering together. We preach through books of the Bible, or we seek to address topics in here on Wednesday night. That's a means of discipleship. When you come, and you're listening, and you're singing, you're being discipled. Hopefully, when you're hearing the word, you're being discipled, because we're picking songs that will exalt the name of Christ, and will push you in your growth with Jesus, and they're theologically rich and challenging, so that you're not just singing lyrics on a screen, but you're proclaiming much of Jesus. And hopefully, as you're praying, or me, when I stand in the pulpit and preach and teach God's word, that we're, we're drilling into who God says that he is. I'm not up here going, well, I had a vision this week. No, we don't do that here. It's really weird. Because God's revealed everything we need to know for a life of godliness in his word. So it means when the preaching time comes around, we're not going to, to the best of my ability, I'm not perfect. I'll be the first to admit it. This is why you got to bring your Bible with you to church. This is what we're going to use for instruction. And we're going to respond because we believe that the praying of God's word, the preaching of God's word, and the singing of all those songs prepare us to be changed and conformed in the image of Christ. We've also started discipleship groups. No one in this room is ever going to be forced to be a part of a discipleship group. We may say, hey, I think it'd be great if you joined a discipleship group. Well, discipleship groups are something that meet on top of our small groups and on top of what we already do in our college ministry to push you deeper in your walk with Jesus. It's to push you deeper in your walk with Christ. It forces you to talk about what you're reading from the Bible every day. And it forces you to learn and to think about how you read the Bible. 
So you're not just going, well, this could mean any one of these 83 things. But you actually concretely know what the Word of God is saying and how to apply it to your life. And so for eight to ten weeks, we walk through a book together. And then we encourage the groups to stay together for a year. Not meeting every week, but together messaging each other daily for a year about what they're reading through the Bible. And we provide stuff to help you do that. We also do Bible studies. Two times a year. You know, this is a lot of stuff. Our problem in our country is not that you and I have too little Jesus time or too much Jesus time. It's that we have too little of it. Because this is a lot of stuff. You're right. you got to make a decision at some point. Who's most important? What's most important? And you got to radically pursue it. So three times a year in the fall, we do guys and girls stuff there. And then two other times, we're going to be introducing some new Bible study materials to you. The two that are guy and girl separated will go for four weeks. Excuse me. The two that are not guy and girl separated. So this spring and this summer, when we are all together, we're going to go back and do secret church together as a group for a month. Four weeks, an hour long, and I'm going to go, I'm going to drill you with the word. Well, I'm not going to be this tired. Four of those happens when you look a lot like or maybe it is real Sabbath, and, and that's David Platt. I don't know. But anyway, and then the, the last way that we do this, we believe that discipleship takes place in a college ministry is in your small group. Some of you know for the last three years we've been doing uh, the gospel project. For three years we've been committed to that curriculum, and we've done it, and at the end of August we'll be done with it. We'll have finished it. And we're going to put a big red check mark over that. So the question came, what are we going to do? Are we going to just start at the beginning and another three years? And it was this conviction that we needed to get back to discipleship that led to this shift. So for the next year, we're committing to going through a discipleship curriculum as a college ministry on Sunday mornings. It's called The Journey. It's put out by Lifeway. And uh, we're going to do it for the next year. So everybody gets a book for free. You show up in your small group, you get a book. And it's like overwhelming. You get a book. You get a book. You all get a book. Everybody says, sorry, I can't do cards. I'm just, we don't have that kind of budget. Get there, okay? Try. Everybody in their small group will get a book. And for the next year, over four quarters, four different books, we're going to commit to trying to be discipled together as a group, which means on Sunday mornings, for the first 15 minutes, we're going to gather like we do here. And after the end of the first 15, 20 minutes of going through that week's main thrust and main point, we're going to break into our small group. And we're going to discuss what we've done through this curriculum for the next year. You know, that sounds scary. You should be the guy taking charge of it. It is scary, but it is good because here's the bottom line. After a year, we'll all have gone through it together. And then as you see people come to know Christ, you and some of your friends can use that curriculum that you've already been through. To disciple somebody. Or disciple two or three people. Because that's how Jesus did it. Two or three people at a time. We're going to equip you. Not just the small group leaders. Not just the adult leaders. This isn't just a leader driven ministry. Every member is a disciple maker. You're part of our college ministry. You're a disciple maker. And it's our responsibility as a ministry. To get you to that point. 
to being a new problem maker. So for the next year, beginning in September, we are going to do this together. You say, well, David, that's not fair. I have to go back to another school that's all the way across the country. That seems rude and mean. Well, number one, I never told you you had to go somewhere other than Springfield to go to school. So that was rude of me. Number two, we are committing that we're going to do what it takes to serve our students who are connected here but maybe go and live somewhere else. You can get a book too. Your friends can get a book. Everybody's getting books. I'm excited about this. You should be too. And we're going to do our best to stay connected with you even though you chose to break fellowship with us and move somewhere else. We still love you even though you didn't like us that way. No, I'm just kidding. So how are we going to do this? You say, this sounds lofty. This sounds crazy. Well, it's because we believe this. That like uh, Douglas O'Donnell said, we look upward because Jesus has promised to work downward to help us from above. He'll give us the courage. He'll give us the wisdom. He will give us the harvest and he will give us the strength. Which leads me to my third point. We're going to trust in Christ's presence. See, this discipleship-making mandate is sandwiched in between Christ's power and Christ's presence for a reason. And that's to give us confidence in who he is. That's why he says at the end, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's our great confidence tonight, for you and for me. Because we tend to, to freak out, to worry, to wonder, how in the world are we going to make disciples? How am I going to get into this? He just said every person's a disciple maker. I don't want to be a disciple maker. I like it that my small group leader is a disciple maker. I want him or her to lead our group. And I don't want, you're, what? We trust in Christ's power. We trust in his presence. That he's going to equip us to do it. And as a collective group, we're going to come together. We're going to lock arms. We're going to make disciples. We can't make disciples if you've never been made a disciple yourself. You can never take someone on a journey. This is profound that you've never been on yourself. Yeah. Believe me, I've driven in a car with some of you. Some of you have gone to places you don't know how to get there, and you're wondering, how am I going to get there? Just trust me. And it's like throwing a dart at a dartboard blind. We're going to try and put some guardrails up and help you become a disciple maker. We're going to push you to become a disciple maker. We're going to proclaim boldly that one of the core identities of who we are is that we are people who are bought into the Great Commission, that we are people who are committed to making disciples. So I want to challenge you tonight to evaluate where you're at in relationship to this commission and then ask yourself, where do I need to change? Or better than asking yourself, asking that God would, uh, through his spirit, convict you of the areas where you need to grow. It may not be evident right now, but over the next week that you would pray, God, where do I need to grow in regards to making disciples? Where do I need to grow? What needs to change? What adjustments do I need to make? Some of you may need to be more bold in how you share Christ. Some of you may be sitting in a room and never been baptized. But you've never been baptized. Or you got baptized on the wrong side of conversion. Baptism before conversion is just getting wet. Baptism after conversion is identification with Christ. Some in the room may be committed to learning and growing and coming to know Christ deeper. We don't know how to do that. That's okay. That's why we've started discipleship groups for you to say, I want to grow. So ask the Holy Spirit. 
I said, where would you want me to go and send them? And then he told me. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the Crave College Ministry Sermons from Crossway Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. For more information about Crave, you can connect with us online at crosswaybc.org forward slash college or on social media at Crossway Crave. Again, thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great day.